today's passage is a very familiar passage to us, of course. Um, Each Palm Sunday where I grew up, um, going to a Baptist church with my parents, on those Palm Sundays, maybe you did this as a child at school or in church, we'd reenact that procession with waving palm branches that we used to make, palms and cloaks and shouts of Hosanna, and of course the donkey. That was always the position that I'd aspire to, set my aims high as a young child to become the donkey. Many would say perhaps that is what I have achieved in later life as well. Nevertheless, it was a time of real joy and celebration on that Palm Sunday. And I suppose for me as a child, there was filled with joy and Jesus coming into Jerusalem and shouts of Hosanna. And certainly as a child, not really reflecting on the trauma that would befall Jesus just a few short days later. This account, though, is incredibly important, and Jesus' choice of a donkey is very, very important. In fact, it was a direct fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9 says this, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. So in Luke, we're told that Jesus specifically seeks out this colt, the foal of a donkey for his entry into the city. And and the crowd, I think, wouldn't have missed the significance of that. They were aware of the scriptures and the promises of the Messiah to come. And on a beautiful sunny day, perhaps like today, you you can imagine the crowds and the excitement that they felt in Jerusalem. They'd heard so much about this man, this miracle worker, who'd been preaching around the countryside, performing wonderful miracles, giving sight to the blind, deaf to the, to the restoring the, the, the hearing of those who are deaf, and they'd even heard rumours of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, no doubt. And so they crowd around to get a glimpse of this man. Many were saying, well, is this the Messiah? He certainly fulfilled the criteria of that. He was reportedly the offspring of a young teenage who claimed to be a virgin. That was Isaiah's prophecy. He was born in Bethlehem, as predicted in Micah. He was from the line of David, again, predicted in Isaiah. And and he himself had linked his own ministry to the kind of prophetic words of Isaiah, where the Messiah would preach the good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery for the sight of blind, and release the oppressed. That's what Jesus said today. It's fulfilled in your hearing. I am that person. I'm doing that. And then, of course, there was that donkey that he chose to ride in on too. So it's no wonder, I think, that the crowds turned out to cheer him with such force and such kind of delight and rapture. The Bible tells us that they shouted out, Hosanna, an acclamation of praise usually reserved for God. Hosanna is a liturgical word, a word of worship that's used in the Old Testament in relation to prayers and salvation, asking for help from the Lord. And so on this day, they shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Again, a link to the the prophetic word that the Messiah would come from the line of David. There's so much excitement, so much anticipation. The mob carried with a wave of enthusiasm and joy and hope, willing to believe that this was indeed the Messiah. But therein, of course, lies the rub, doesn't it? Because his arrival perhaps meant different things to different people. And while the crowd might have all been caught up together in a sense of the moment, some might have been there for the wrong reasons. Some were faithful friends 
but others were perhaps more fickle followers. And I wonder at times which we have the capacity to be ourselves. There is, after all, I suggest, a part of Peter lurking within all of us deep down, proclaiming his, his glories one moment and then perhaps denying him the next. The Old Testament prophecies, as I've alluded to, indicated that the Messiah would destroy Israel's enemies, restore the kingdom of Israel, extend it over the whole world, and in a final battle, the enemies of God would be destroyed. And as much, therefore, some of the cheering followers who were there expected the Messiah to be some kind of military, kind of aggressive person, even violent, perhaps, with violent goals to overthrow the Roman occupiers of the day to re-establish Israel in all its fullness. Many theologians believe that Judas himself was one of these zealots, the man who would go on to betray Jesus. So Jesus' choice of a mount is therefore really important. Yes, it fulfills the prophetic word from Zechariah, but more than that, it confounded a lot of people's expectations of what the Messiah would be like. Surely, a king rides into battle on a white stallion, a charger. But Jesus, well, Jesus simply rode in on a lowly donkey, an animal constitutionally unfit for war and a symbol of peace. So some, maybe even in the midst of the cries of Hosanna, some of those zealots were beginning to think, well, what's happening here? Is this the leader that we were really expecting? Of course, Jesus already knew what was going to happen to him. Having entered into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple and in his fury turns over the tables, you'll remember. And then he tells a parable that's really perhaps important in this moment. It's the parable of the tenants, a parable which tells the story of a, a, a man who owns a vineyard and leases it out to tenants who he then just leaves to get on with the work and he goes away for a while. This image of a vineyard <clears throat> would really be known and, and familiar to the locals there who worked in the fields, but also, more importantly, the chief priests and teachers of the law would instantly recognise the sign of the vineyard being a symbol for Israel in the Old Testament. The, owners of the, vineyard naturally, the owner of the vineyard naturally expects his share of the harvest. When the time comes, he sends a slave to collect his share of the harvest, but the ungrateful tenants beat him and send him away. So he sends a second slave and, and, and a third even, and these ones are beaten as well. But the owner doesn't give up. And in the end, the owner in Jesus' story sends his son to these rebellious tenants, assuming, well, this, my son at least they'll listen to. But instead of listening to the son, they reject him and kill him. The owner, of course, is God. The slaves are the prophets whose predictions the crowd believed earlier on, but actually ended up often rejecting. And the son, well, of course, the son is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus knew that the crowds that greeted him on that day with shouts of Hosanna were indeed fickle. And when he began to fail to live up to their expectations, they would shout, crucify him. This is a, a, a significant moment, a painful moment for Jesus I can't imagine what it must have felt like for him riding in, knowing that these same crowds who were worshipping him in a few short days would call for him to be killed. Mob mentality is a powerful thing, isn't it? We see that in our political world today. We certainly see it in social media. 
So what does it mean for us today as we think of this Good Friday and these crowds? Well, of course, we know that there's an epilogue to this story, this parable that Jesus tells. Yes, in the parable, the son is killed and the father is distraught. But we know, unlike the hearers of that day, that there is an epilogue. As the tenants nail the landowner's son to a cross of wood and raise him to die, the father says, he says to them, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And of course, that son becomes resurrected a few short days later. So great is the love of the landowner that it overcame his terrible death inflicted on his son. And on the third day, the sun rises again and now sits in glory at the right hand of the landowner, interceding on our behalf, praying for us, praying for our world as we seek his forgiveness. And one day, Jesus will come again. And this time, his re-entry will be so triumphal, so glorious, that the whole world will kneel before him and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We long for that day. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come to this world of brokenness and pain. Come and bring healing. May we recognize you as Lord. Amen. Let's pray for a moment. On this Good Friday, we remember you, Jesus, riding into Jerusalem to the shouts of joy, adoration and worship. Under beautiful skies, you turned and waved, no doubt, and smiled at the crowds, but knowing that they soon would turn against you. And Lord, we recognize in our own hearts that same capacity to honor you one moment and to turn away another. Father, would you forgive us for our fickle nature? May we set our hearts on heaven to look to you, Jesus, as Lord, to bow the knee this day and every day, to recognize you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, to honor you and to thank you for the cross, that you were willing to offer up your life so that we who are guilty may go free and to receive the Father's love and mercy. We bless you. We thank you, King Jesus, our resurrected Saviour. Amen.